words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. A few years ago, after church, uh, a lady who um, a lady came up to me and uh, said she had a word of knowledge for me. Now she had offered these before, and um, usually I took them with a grain of salt because often I didn't really know what they were about. But this one stood out for me. This one was that God would grant my heart's desire, which was a really nice thing to say. And I thanked her and thought, well, that's nice. And then it kind of led to a mini crisis, really, because I began to think about what was my heart's desire. I don't know that I'd ever really thought about that. Deep down, what was my heart's desire? I mean, at a superficial level, I could say, well, I'd like to have some more money. And with that money, I could pay off my children's student debt and I could help pay for their studies. And I'd have a bit of money to be able to do things like pay for things like these televisions so we didn't have to do fundraising and funding applications to get them. And you know, I'd like to go to England to visit my aunt before she dies and I'd really like to do the course at St George's College in Jerusalem and quite like to go to Istanbul and strangely I'd like to go to Anfield and watch Liverpool play. So there's all sorts of things that I could do if I had some more money. But all of that's pretty superficial really. And often, actually, if we think about it, people get stuck there. What is your heart's desire to have enough money? And there are people who actually say that that's what Christianity is about. You know, if you become a Christian, God will shower you with wealth. That's why we're Christians. And the trouble is, we often get stuck there because we're not willing to actually ask well, what does the money help us do? Hopefully. And for me, well, it would be nice, but also it means that then my children, for example, could start life without the burden of debt. And that comes out of a desire, my desire, for my children to thrive and to grow. My desire for the world to be a place where they can thrive and grow. So... Is that my heart's desire? Wouldn't be a bad one. But I think actually I can go even a little deeper. My desire is for the world to be for the world to be a place where everyone, everyone can thrive and grow. Not not just my family, not just those who are like me, but everyone. So that's one of the reasons why. I wish we would take climate change more seriously because I fear the future not only for my children but for everyone if we don't. And that's why I want governments to enact policies that allow all people in all countries to have enough and for the world to be filled with the kind of communities where everyone who is, lives in those communities feels like they belong to those communities and are valued by those communities, are significant members of those communities and not just economic pawns to make the economics of those communities function. So is that my heart's desire? Well, again, that wouldn't be a bad place to stop. But actually, I think today I would suggest that my heart's desire is 
that the world would be as I understand God desires it to be. A place of limitless generosity, of infinite love, the same kind of love Jesus felt and exhibited on the cross. It turns out, my heart's desire is a pretty tricky thing. That one simple comment, God will grant your heart's desire, was a lot more tricky for me than I had realised when she said it to me. And she probably didn't even realise the kind of mini-crisis she caused to me when she said it. She probably just thought it was a nice thing to say. That makes it pretty hard for God to grant my heart's desire when I'm so unsure about what it is myself. My suspicion is that God has a much better idea about what my heart's desire is than I do. The trouble is, I don't really think about my heart's desire very much. And so, I don't really live very much in my life focused on my heart's desire. Instead, I get waylaid, distracted by other wants and needs that, if I'm willing to take the time, point to my heart's desire, but they aren't actually that desire. And I suspect we all do this. I want to suggest that this is one way of understanding what was going on, what was going on last week's in John's Gospel, what was going on in this week's in John's Gospel, and will continue to go on for the rest of chapter 6, which we will read over the next three weeks. In the feeding of the 5,000, we have a story of Jesus meeting the need of hunger. Now, the people who were there didn't ask Jesus to meet that hunger. They just, he just did it, unasked for. And it was incredibly generous because those five loaves and two fish, so here we have a, this is um, a church on the tradition, one of the traditional sites where this miracle took place. This one's down on the Sea of Galilee. And you can see four fish in the basket and four bread in the basket, loaves of bread and two fish. And the table there, as you saw in the previous slide, is actually the altar. So the fifth loaf was the loaf of bread on the altar used at the Eucharist. So um, that's in a place called Tavka. Uh, sadly, that church was burnt down about a month ago by Israeli settlers who didn't think Palestinians should be anywhere near there. The world is a sad place. So in that story, Jesus meets the need of hunger. And he just, John describes this as a sign A sign of God's freely given, unasked for, abundant generosity. As a sign of what more God was offering. Now that's kind of the same as that word of knowledge to me. In that miracle, Jesus was saying, God will meet your heart's desire. And the people who were there kind of got it. But they kind of didn't because, well, they understood their desire to be rid of Rome, rid of Herod, and rid of the current high priests and all the corruption that went on in Jerusalem. And so they saw the sign and they thought that he was saying that he was the one who would lead them to this new world, this new world that was rid of Herod and Rome and the high priests. And they wanted to make him king because he was the one that was going to lead them to victory. 
So they kind of got that this was a sign, but then with their heart's desire, they kind of stopped at, let's get rid of the Romans and all the people who sucked up to them. The problem was they didn't go any deeper. They didn't ask the question, what what would the society, what would the world look like once Rome was gone? They were caught up with the overthrow of Rome. And so what would the world look like? What would Israel have looked like if Rome was overthrown? What was it they were longing for? Well, they were longing for a restoration of the land. The land that all those people who were crowded around Jesus had owned only a little while earlier. But they had lost it through debt to Rome, to the high priests. And now the high priests and the Judean elite owned that land. They longed for a world where all had enough, where no one was hungry. They longed for a world of peace and justice, where they weren't at the mercy of the rulers. They longed for a world where they could dwell again in the presence of God, as described through the wilderness experience. In short, they longed for the kingdom of God, which sounds great. And it's so much more than what they actually thought they longed for, which was just the overthrow of Rome. Jesus was offering so much more than what they thought. And he was offering, in fact, even more than all of this. He was offering a vision of a new community, built around the qualities of God he points to in his actions and his teachings. His whole life pointed to the characters of God on which this new community was to be built. God's limitless generosity, God's unbounded love, a world where all are seen as being created in the image of God and all live as people made in that image. Imagine that world, because that's the world Jesus is pointing to. That is eternal life. That is the bread that Jesus offers us. And that's well removed from what those who were listening to him thought. And even a lot of the hearers of John's Gospel struggled with that. And I suspect a lot of us struggle with that as well. We get lost on the way with our own desires and needs. God's heart desire for us remains hidden. So what is it that we long for? What is our heart's desire? What is it that we give our souls to? And what is it that God longs for us, for this place, for this world?